Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Go with me now to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, and um, we're going to continue on in this series. We've been in this series called How to Raise G-Rated Kids in an X-Rated World. The last few weeks, I've been very practical. I've given you a lot of handles, a lot of notes. How many of y'all got some good notes the last three weeks? I mean, it was just a lot of information, and uh, I'm going to pivot. I'm going to pivot just a bit. I'm going to change my approach just a bit, but we're staying right here in this series, and I think you're going to sense that in just a minute. So go with me to Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 1. reads as follows. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he besieged it. Now jump with me to verse 3 through 7. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen from Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So we have four Hebrew boys brought into the king's palace in Babylon. The first thing they did was rename them. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought that God has put in my heart. You can't have my name. You can't have my name. Would you pray one more time? We're just going to pray for the hearing of God's word. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word? Father, your word is already anointed. Pray, God, that you would anoint me to deliver what you've already ordained for this moment. And I pray, God, that you open up every heart and mind to receive your word. As this word goes forward corporately, would it fall individually and uniquely on ears that have ears to hear? We thank you in the name of Jesus. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clap your hands one last time and you may be seated. I'm going to preach on this thought. You can't have my name. Let me ask a few questions, okay? It's kind of odd, but, but humor me. Go with me. How many of you really like the name that your parents gave you? Show of hands. Like, like no lying. Be honest. It's church and it's Sunday. How many of you like the name your mom and dad gave you? All right, cool. All right. Next question. How many of you kind of like the name... But it's not a name you would have chosen for yourself if you had a choice. Show of hands. Let me see. All right, cool. Cool. All right. Now we're going to do some deliverance ministry and someone's going to get set free. (laughs) How many of you don't like the name your parents gave you? And you might even go by a nickname or like your middle name because you don't love your name. Raise your hand. Okay. Thank you. So let's give it up for them for just this this moment of confession. Let me transfer I love the name my parents gave me. 
for those of you that don't know my name, it's Joshua Paul. That's like a strong biblical name that my parents gave me. I mean, Joshua, this, this Old Testament leader, and Paul, this New Testament leader. I think when my parents named me Joshua Paul, I had no choice but to be a preacher and a pastor. Like, like with a name like that, you don't go into accounting. You know, with a name like that, you go into the ministry. It's kind of funny because three of my brothers, there's, there's four Herrera boys, three of them are in law enforcement, and there's one pastor. It's like, it's like, it, it just had to be that way. It just had to be that way with a name like Joshua Paul. But if I'm honest with you, I've struggled a bit with my last name. And I'm going to explain it to you right now, okay? I've struggled just a little bit with my last name because my last name's Herrera. My last name's Herrera. And, and now the more proper pronunciation of my last name is Herrera. And you roll the R's. It's real Mexican, you know what I mean? And so I've I, I struggled with that just a bit. And I remember, I remember this moment in junior high where, you know, you, how many of you remember you have your homeroom in junior high? And the first day of school and the teacher's like going around the room. Everybody introduce yourself. And Gabby Herrera, who sat right in front of me, she said, hi, my name is Gabby Herrera. Like she came real Mexican with it, you know what I mean? And it was my turn. I said, hi, my name is Josh Herrera. And she looked at me. She said really loud for the whole class to hear, it's Herrera. Say it right or don't say it at all. I was like, wow, Gabby chose violence this morning. I mean, she was just not having it. And so that's kind of some of my struggle because depending on who my audience was, like, like if I was speaking to a Hispanic and they could take it, I would go ahead and tell them, my name is Herrera. We would roll the R's and eat a carne asada taco with it. You know what I mean? Like real Mexican. But I was talking to someone who was black, white, Asian. They got Herrera, the Taco Bell version of my last name, okay? So it just depended on who my audience was. That was the way that they were going to get my last name. I would play to the room. Now, I say all that in some humor, but here in this passage of Scripture, what I want to talk to you about is, and really where I'm going to be for the next few weeks as we get to the back, the back part of this message series, I want to talk to you about Daniel and the other three Hebrew boys, so these four Hebrew boys who were brought into Babylon when Babylon had taken their city and their land. And they were brought into the king's palace. And the first thing that he did was change their name. Now, let me give you some context because I'm going to be talking about Babylon for the next few weeks. And I want to tee it up for you. I need to define Babylon for you all. I want you to get the context of Babylon. So Babylon was a major city along the Euphrates River in Mesopotamia. The name Babylon means gate of the gods, gate of the gods. And at its time, it was a place of modernism and influence that would spread throughout the world. That was Babylon. So if it was trending, it started in Babylon. If there was a hashtag, <laughs> it came from Babylon. If it was popular, it came from Babylon. That, that's what Babylon was. It was this place of influence that spread throughout the world. But what you need to know about Babylon is this place with the name like city of the gods, plural, is that Babylon was always in conflict with God, Yahweh, Jehovah God. Babylon was always in conflict with God. You see it all the way back in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, you read about the Tower of Babel, where men came together, the government of the world came together because they wanted to build a tower that would ascend into the heavens so that they could be like God. Babel, Tower of Babel, happened in Babylon. So, so there was always this conflict in that region, and in that region, they were always conflicting 
with God. Their, their, their thoughts, their, their influence, and um, what they would try to spread throughout the then known world was always in direct conflict with God. Now, in time, Babylon would grow under King Nebuchadnezzar, and now he set his sights on not just being a place of influence, but King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to rule the world. So he began to conquer different territories of the then known world. Eventually, he went to the northern kingdom of Israel, took the northern kingdom of Israel captive. And now he had his sights set on Judah, Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. And, he, and I want you to get this. God allowed it to happen. Everybody say God allowed it. Why would he allow such a thing to happen? Because the Israelites, the Jews, they had turned their hearts away from God. And they began to worship other gods. And, and, and finally, when God had enough, he was going to allow Babylon to come and take them. And that was going to be a form of judgment. So, so Babylon comes and takes Israel captive. And, and God allowed Babylon to do that. But God eventually would judge Babylon for that. And do you want to know how harshly God judged Babylon for taking Israel and Judah captive? Israel is still a nation today. Babylon is gone. I mean, when God judged Babylon, he wiped that entire country off of the face of the earth. It no longer exists. Babylon is gone. But when you get to the book of Revelation, this is why I need to explain all this. When you get to the book of Revelation, John the Revelator talks about the city of Babylon. Why could he be talking or how can he talk about a city that's already been destroyed? Because Babylon was a city, but beyond the city, there was a spirit of Babylon. And so what John talks about in the book of Revelation is he's talking about the spirit of Babylon, and it is a demonic spirit. The spirit of Babylon is a demonic spirit, and it is, it is a spirit that causes the kingdoms of this world to war against the kingdom of God. The, the spirit of Babylon causes the kingdoms of this world to war with the kingdoms of God, and it is alive and well today. All you've got to do is watch the news long enough. All you have to do is look with spiritual eyes to see that the spirit of Babylon is alive and well, and it is causing nations to turn against the kingdom of God. And, and there are descriptors of the spirit of Babylon. You'll know when you see the spirit of Babylon when you see sexual immorality, injustice, violence, moral relativism, and fatherlessness. These are just five. There's, there's more descriptors of it. But, but these are descriptors of the spirit of Babylon. Sexual immorality, injustice, violence, moral relativism, and fatherlessness. So when you see these things at work, you need to know that the spirit of Babylon, which is warring against God, is at work. Everybody say Babylon. Okay, I wanted to set the stage because that's going to impact everything we're going to talk about for the next three weeks. So let's get back to our text. Here in Daniel 1, the king of Babylon says, bring me four Hebrew boys. I want the brightest. I want the most handsome. I want the ones that are the quickest to learn. And when he brought them into his palace, you'll see there that his first initiative was to strip them of their name. He said, we're going to take away their Hebrew names and we're going to give them Babylonian names. Now, now, eventually, the plan was not just to take their name, but he wanted to strip them of their identity, of their values, of their heritage, and replace it with Babylonian identity, Babylonian values, and Babylonian heritage. And that was the plan of the king. 
And just as there was the plan for the king of Babylon to do that then, the spirit of Babylon is trying to do that now with your children, parents. The, the, the spirit of Babylon wants to do that with your children, parents. So, so let me get into some notes. Write this down. The spirit of Babylon wants to strip your children of their identity. It wants to strip your children of their values. And it wants to strip your children of their spiritual heritage. That's what the spirit of Babylon wants to do. And mom and dad, if you don't wake up to this, and if you don't start seeing the enemy's agenda, you'll allow culture, social media, celebrities, politicians, and political agendas to indoctrinate your children until you no recognize the child that you brought into this world. If you are not careful, one day you'll look at your child and they'll be talking and you're like, I didn't put that in them. That is not what I taught them. Those aren't the values that I thought I was handing to my child. But here's the deal. You need to know that the enemy's agenda is never overt. It is covert. The enemy's agenda is never. The spirit of Babylon, his agenda, its agenda is never overt, meaning you can see it when it comes. It's covert. It comes disguised, okay? It comes disguised as something an influencer said. It comes disguised at what celebrity said. It comes disguised as what culture said. And so the four Hebrew boys came before the king, and he explained to them, I'm going to give you Babylonian names, and in exchange, you're going to have a seat at my table. Did you see how that works? See how that works? I'm going to give you a seat at my table, but I'm going to take your names from you. And, and, and here's the thing about the world, and here's the thing about the spirit of Babylon, okay? The world never offers you something and asks for nothing in return. The world will never offer you something and ask you for nothing in return. The only thing that is freely given is the grace of God. Come on, how are you glad about the grace of God? The only thing that is freely given is the gospel. And even then, it wasn't free. It was a price that was paid for by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Somebody paid the price for us, but he gives us that victory. Now, now the world, it'll try to tell you this is free, but it'll never give you something and ask for nothing in return. Write these notes down. Here's the thing about the counterfeit gospel of the spirit of Babylon. It's going to take you further than you wanted to go. It's going to keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it is going to cost you more than you ever intended to pay. So mom and dad, you need to wake up to this. And mom and dad, this ain't even just your kids. Sometimes it's you. The boss will tell you, I've got this position for you. But what you don't know is it's going to cost you your marriage. The world will come to you and say, I I've got all of this money for you. But what you don't know is it's going to cost you your relationship with your child. You have to discern when the doors that are being opened to you, whether they be of God or it's the spirit of Babylon trying to seat you at a worldly table in exchange for your identity, in exchange for your name, and in exchange for your values. Because that's the way the spirit of Babylon works. It's going to take you further than you ever intended to go. It's going to cost you more than you ever intended to pay. And you're going to stay a lot longer than you ever thought you could stay. And we see this a lot of times. Like, well, that's okay, Pastor. I got the, I can control myself, Pastor. Next thing you know, we got you checked into a recovery program. It's okay, Pastor. I, I can handle this myself, Pastor. And if you're not careful, you will start saying yes to things that very, very covertly looked okay. It's your Christian freedom. It's your freedom in Christ. And before long, you wake up and you don't recognize where you are at anymore. 
What happened? The spirit of Babylon came and deceived you. The spirit of Babylon came and deceived your children. The spirit of Babylon came and deceived your family. So you have to see these things. Now, let's go into some of the things that when the king said, I'm going to take your names, I want you to see because it, 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 it's so obvious it's there, but sometimes we miss it when we don't dig into it in the text. I want you to look at what was happening every time he tried to rename one of these young boys. Y'all ready? Here's the first one, Daniel. The name Daniel means God is my judge. God is my judge. In Hebrew, that's what Daniel means. Every name has a meaning. The name Belteshazzar is Babylonian for lady, protect the king. Okay, going to a male, going to male Daniel, that name means lady, protect the king. What King Nebuchadnezzar wanted was he wanted to replace his masculine name with a feminine name and take the focus off of God and put it on man. You see how Babylon does that? He's going to try to mess with his whole gender, confuse gender, and then say, lady, you need to take care of the king. It's no longer about God. God ain't your judge. You're here to take care of King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's go to the next one, Hananiah. Hananiah's Hebrew name means Yahweh is gracious. But when they renamed him to Shadrach, they renamed him to I am fearful of God. So instead of seeing the grace of God and seeing his place with God, they were trying to get him to turn and be afraid of a loving God. They were trying to confuse him and make him fearful of a God who loves him. Let's go to Mishael. Mishael's Hebrew name means who can compare to God? No one. What, what, a prof what an amazing declaration of a name, right? Mishael means who can compare to God? No one. And, and when they change his name to Meshach, it is changed to I am despised, I am contemptible, and I am humiliated. What it was doing was replacing confidence in God to cowardice and once again taking the focus off of God and putting it on himself, putting it on man. Here's the last one, Azariah. Azariah's name means Yahweh has helped, but they changed his name to Abednego, which means the servant of Nemo. So Nebo. So he, he was now a servant to this man named Nebo, and he went from seeing the help of God to becoming to a slave of man. They reduced this young man who was made in the image of God to just being a slave of Nebo. That, that, that's all you are now. Child of God. You're not a child of God. You're, you're a slave of Nebo. Made in the image of God. You're not made in the image of God. You're a slave of Nebo. And I want you to get this. In every one of these name changes, the spirit of Babylon is taking boys who were made in the image of God and telling them to surrender their identity to one that either confused their gender, replaced security with insecurity, and shifted their focus from God to man. It's the spirit of Babylon at work. And that same old trick is alive and well today. That same old trick that, that, that King Nebuchadnezzar tried to do back then that he did to the four boys is alive and well today. And here's how he does. This is how the spirit of Babylon works today. It does this by two ways. Number one, the enemy is trying to get us to accept the false identity by accepting a cultural. Everybody say cultural. A cultural definition of who we are. Let, 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 me, let me expand on this because it's so important that we not miss it. Cultural definitions are always moving us into worldly standards of what is beauty. So the world wants to define beauty for you. The world wants to define what is success. The world wants to redefine what is love. And the world wants to redefine what is acceptance. Here's the reason why. Write this down. The world wants to group you, corner you, and label you. 
so that you can be reduced to the lowest common denominator. And the enemy wants to tell you, you aren't unique. You're just like everybody else. Oh, oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you're a hater then. Oh, oh, you believe in the Bible? Uh, that Bible is filled with a bunch of hate speech. You're a Christian, and they want to reduce you to the lowest common denominator. Now, everybody here in the Lighthouse College, you know how I feel about labels. Hate them. So it's like, I, I hate labels. I don't like broad strokes. I, I believe that we are all uniquely made in the image of God. When I see you, I see God's unique thumbprint on your life. But the world wants to homogenize you. The world wants to label you. The world wants to group you so he can reduce you. He wants to group you so that he can reduce you. But here's the deal. They, they try to tell you, you don't get to keep your Hebrew name. You get a Babylonian name just like everyone else. Do you guys see what the world does? Whereas God makes you unique, whereas God makes you an individual, whereas God gives you a unique plan for your life, the world tries to just group you all, homogenize you all. You're part of that group, and you're part of that group, and this group's going to fight with that group, and we're going to get this group hating against this group. It's all the trick of the enemy. To, to, to just blend you all together. So that's trick number one. Now, there's a second trick that he wants to do. The enemy wants to reduce you to the mistakes that you've made. The enemy wants to reduce you. Everybody say reduce. He wants to reduce you to the mistakes that you've made. So what he wants to do is he wants your past to define you. And he's going to use the times that you fell short from moving on to what God has ahead of you. So those are the two tricks. He wants to label you. And if he can't label you, he's going to keep getting your past to define who you are. Because you start looking at the promises of God and you start seeing that you're loved. And he says, you can't be loved. You did this. And, and, and the, the promises of God said that he'll put his spirit on the inside of you. And he gets you to believe, no, no, God won't put his spirit inside of you. You made this mistake. And so this is how the spirit of Babylon is constantly after your identity. He's constantly after who you are. But here's what I love, Lighthouse Church. Here's what I love. For every trick and every attack of the enemy, I find in my Bible a verse that God has already given me a promise that tells me the truth. The enemy comes with lies. All he can do is lie because he's the father of lies. But when we stand on the Bible, we are standing on the truth of God's word. How many of you know that the Bible is the truth of God's word? So, so let, let, me, let me just try to explain this to you. When the enemy is hard at work to homogenize you, label you, and tell you you belong to this group let me read to you what psalm 139 14 says it says i praise you because i am fearfully and wonderfully made come on clap your hands if you know you've been fearfully and wonderfully made i am not a cosmic accident you are not a cosmic accident you are not a mistake here's what you need to know about yourself jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 before i formed you in the womb i knew you before you were born i set you apart so when the enemy tries to say you are nothing but this you are nothing but that you remind them what the word of god says and you remind them i've been made in the image of god i've been fearfully made when i was in the womb of my mother he already knew me you, you've got to get the truth of God's word on the inside of you because as he tries to come to you with these false narratives you stand on the word of God Listen, you, you don't got to stand on your name. You get to stand on his name and you don't have to stand on your word You get to stand on God's word You get to stand on God's word 
And what about those who have put their faith in Jesus? What about those that made a mistake? I got good news for those of you that are struggling with your past. I got good news for those of you who feel like the enemy's trying to hold you back by reminding you of who you used to be. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 6. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace. Somebody shout grace. It is by grace that you have been saved and God has raised us up with Christ and he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus. Come on, somebody clap their hands if you know where you're sitting. I'm not just sitting in a church right now, but because I've been buried with Christ, now I am in him sitting in heavenly places. So the next time the enemy says, I've got this seat for you, and I've got this table for you, you don't have to compromise who you are because you're already sitting in a better seat. You're already sitting in heavenly places. Don't give up your chair in heavens for a temporary chair here on earth. Never compromise your values, your identity, and your heritage because the enemy thinks he's got something for you that's better. It will cost you more than you want to pay. It will cost you more than you should pay. But this is how the enemy works. He tries to give you a position in exchange for your identity. But I thank God that I've already been seated in a heavenly place. I thank God that I've already been raised together with Christ Jesus. Let me give you one more verse for those of you that think you're too far gone. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and I'm coming to a close. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Come on, clap your hands for this promise that we have in him. When you are in Christ, you are not the same you anymore. It, and and let, me, let me just say this. You're not a better version of you. You're a new version of you. So sometimes we treat baptism like some sort of upgrade to our life. It's, it, it's really more than that. You are a brand new person in Christ Jesus. You are a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. And so when we have been saved by Christ, when we have gone public with our declaration, the old you is gone. And the only opinion that matters is that you would see yourself the way God sees you. And he sees you as loved, forgiven, and he welcomes you back home again. He welcomes you back into his home again. I've got one last verse for you, Romans 4, 7. Because sometimes there are people that deal with a lot of guilt, thinking, well, this is who I used to be. This is what I used to do. This is my struggle. This, this. Sometimes our identity becomes the thing that we used to do. Not even who God made you, but your identity gets wrapped up in who you used to be. But can I tell you what Romans 4, 7 says about you? Bless. Somebody say blessed. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. Did you catch that? Someone who's had to be forgiven. The Bible says you are blessed. Say it one more time. Say blessed. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. I need for you to get this lighthouse, church. The Bible calls you who have been forgiven blessed. He doesn't call you a person with a past. He calls you blessed. He doesn't call you a person who used to be an addict. He calls you blessed. 
blessed. He doesn't call you a person who did time in jail. He calls you blessed. He doesn't call you a person who went through a divorce. He calls you blessed. He doesn't call you a person who's confused with their gender. He calls you blessed. He doesn't call you a person who used to be a thief, a cheat, or a liar. He calls you blessed. This is who you are because this is who God says you are. You got to get this deep down in your spirit lighthouse. These are the things that God is saying about you. And if you're not careful, you'll trade in what God is saying about you for what the world is saying about you. And the world is not calling you what God calls you. And the world is not identifying you according to the identity that God has put on you. So listen to me, Lighthouse Church. You can't lay down your name for what the world is trying to give you. Listen to me, students. You can't give up your identity for the tricks that the enemy is trying to bring your way. You've been wonderfully made. You've been fearfully made. God's image is on you. You are made in the image of God. You are a child of God. He's formed you, and he has named you. Clap your hands if you believe that. Here's what I need for you to get. You you, you have got to find yourself in the word of God and speak to yourself what the word is saying about you. What does that mean practically, Pastor Josh? That means you need to stand in front of a mirror sometimes and just say, you are a child of God. You are the head and not the tail. You are more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. You are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. What are you declaring over your life? Because here's the deal. The enemy's declaring things over you. The, the Bible says that the enemy is declaring things over you. He, he's saying, but you've made these mistakes. But you've gone too far. This is your past. You belong to this group. You, because you believe this, this is who you are. And the enemy is constantly saying things over you. He's saying things over you. You want to know the beautiful thing? In Zephaniah, we read that our God, he sings his righteousness over you. You see, the enemy is, this is it's so beautiful when you see it. The enemy is breathing shame over you, and God sings his righteousness over you. Zephaniah, the prophet, got a vision of God not just talking about you, but singing over you. Somebody say, he sings over me. Did you know that he sings over you? And not just singing, he's singing his righteousness over you. He begins to sing good things over you. He begins to sing his promises over you. God so loves you that he sings over your life. Now you've got to make a choice. Are you going to allow what the enemy is saying to be the descriptor of who you are? Or are you going to listen to the voice of our heavenly father who is singing over you? And he is singing his righteousness over you. And what you have got to do is you have got to make an agreement. Somebody say an agreement. This is where you stand. This is your part. Because the enemy is speaking. God is singing. What will you agree with? Because there is so much power in what you make agreement with. And if you do not intentionally make an agreement with God's word, you are going to surrender to the words of the enemy. Because they can come in like a flood. How many have ever been there where the enemy was attacking you when it felt like a lot? Come on, we can be honest on Sunday morning. It just felt like a lot. You're dealing with guilt, dealing with shame, just dealing with all kinds of negative things. It just felt like a lot. He's just whispering lies into you. You're not good enough. Your home is broken. Your parents' marriage couldn't work. You'll never have a marriage that works. He just says these awful things over you. And meanwhile, God is singing his righteousness over you. He's singing over you. 
What are you going to agree with, Lighthouse? What, what, what are you going to agree with in those moments because you have a choice to make? Now, now, these four Hebrew boys, they didn't have a choice. And we'll dive more into them in the weeks to come. They, they didn't have a choice. They were renamed without a choice. They had already been conquered. Their land had already been taken from them. They didn't have a choice and they were being renamed. But later we'll see how they were able to stand. But you have a choice. Don't surrender your name to what the world is offering you. Don't surrender your identity to what this world is offering you. Make an agreement with what God is singing over your life. Choose to agree with the voice of God. Choose to agree with the word of God. Choose to stand on the promises of God. Choose to stand on the power of his name. Choose to stand on the authority of his word. Choose to come into agreement with the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. What are you going to stand with? I like how Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord in the middle of Babylon. We're going to serve the Lord in the middle of my suffering. I'm going to serve the Lord in the middle of my pain. I'm going to serve the Lord even when it looks like there's no way out. I make a decision to serve the Lord and I do this because he gave me a name I do this because I'm seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places I can do this because he's called me he's chosen me he's given me a name he's changed my nature I'm not the old me I'm a new me I'm the one that's been washed from all of my sins everything that I've done wrong is already forgiven I've been raised in him come on Lighthouse Church if you want to sing with God right now, I want you to sing with what he's singing over you. He's singing righteousness over you. Would you sing with him? If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.